extraterrestrials? Are they just figments of a creepy legend that speaks of human-shaped life forms having ill intentions towards us? Or is there another explanation? UFOs and those who are operating them have been reported by witnesses throughout time as small but terrifying greys having huge black eyes and standing alongside a person's bed at night while communicating through an odd form of telepathy. What is the truth behind the UFO mystery? How advanced is their technology compared to ours? Where do they come from? And why do aliens abduct us? I am your host, Marianne van Driel, and you are listening to The Next Truth, where science and myth meet. This week, I'm exploring the wide and mysterious world of the unexplained aerial phenomena, together with longtime MUFON board member, Tom Whitmore, who has been fascinated by military and intelligent agency interactions with the UFO public. He has undertaken a research study of the history of the MJ-12 affair and intends to eventually publish his findings. Every time I go into these topics of, uh, about aliens or advanced technologies and starting to explain that, what my vision is about, always, always, the connection goes boom, and it is <laughs> gone for a couple of seconds. Always, I had that with Dr. Seth Shostak. I had that with Nick Pope, and I had that with film director Benjamin Redford. And now I also have it with you. <laughs> that connection is gone. So, what well, it is remarkable because all the other podcasts do not have these moments. So, and, and these are not uh, about advanced technologies, only when it goes about advanced technologies. <laughs> okay. So, it is that. creepy, it is strange, <laughs> and <laughs> it makes you think, God, <laughs> so much. Yeah. Tom, welcome to the show of the next truth, where science and myth meet. As I just shared, you are a long-time member of MUFON. What influenced you to join this all-volunteer, non-profit, charitable corporation, what is the world's oldest and largest civilian UFO investigation and research organization? I was born in 1953, and I grew up in the 1950s and 1960s. And uh, I'm, a, I'm a child of the Cold War, and I, I grew up uh, seeing the kind of science fiction programs that Americans grew up with, like uh, The Day the Earth Stood Still, and Invaders from Mars, and The Twilight Zone, and The Invaders. And like anyone, I, like any young person, I developed an interest in space and science. It was being pushed very heavily uh, during my childhood. 
when I was 12 years old, I saw a book by Donald Kehoe about flying saucers, and he was a big UFO proponent at the time, and I started reading his books. Well, I didn't get active in the UFO field until the early 1990s, and when I got interested, I started reading the UFO literature. And in the UFO literature, I discovered that the MUFON organization was being run out of Seguin, Texas. And I was living in San Antonio, Texas at the time. And Seguin mm -hmm. is only a few miles from uh, San Antonio. And the director of MUFON, Walt Andrus, would attend the local meetings in San Antonio. And I was able to meet him. So in my uh, readings, uh, I discovered MUFON. And I decided that I wanted to get involved with the organization and that I wanted to become a field investigator. So uh, I studied for the field investigator exam. I passed the field investigator exam. I became a field investigator and I investigated several cases. I eventually became the leader of the local group there in San Antonio. And a couple of years later, Walt Andrus invited me to be on the board of directors of MUFON. That was in uh, 1994, 1995, and I've been on the board ever since. You say you investigating um, UFO sightings in the field. Do I have to consider this as, uh, of, or thinking about uh, an image of, well, pointing your camera to the sky, uh, searching for lights, or is this more into this uh, idea of listening to uh, signals from outer space that are uh, a bit, well, out there, uh, um, that is uh, pointing out to a civilization that we have not yet encountered? Well, it's not quite that dramatic. Uh, at the time in the early 1990s, uh, we didn't necessarily have a direct way to get cases. Uh, in theory, uh, well, a lot of the reports went into headquarters in Seguin, and then Walt Andrus would forward the report to the state director, and then the state director would assign the case. And sometimes that worked well, sometimes that didn't. What I did was I convinced the group to pay for an extra phone line and an answering machine, and I set up uh, a reporting line. So I, I got several reports that way. And most all of the reports were not too dramatic. Uh, I had a, a one, uh, one report where some teenagers thought they were seeing UFOs and what they were seeing were the reflections of spotlights against the cloud cover. I did have an interesting case with an individual that believed that he had been taken aboard a craft and that the so-called aliens uh, imparted technical knowledge onto him. That was another case that I investigated. I also had a conversation with Linda Howe. Uh, this is back in the 1990s when Linda Howe was being uh, uh, supported uh, in her researches by Robert Bigelow, and she was investigating animal mutilations cases. So. Those are just three examples of the kinds of things that I got involved in. You just mentioned about abduction, which is a term that is well known in, in, in UFO cases, uh, abduction. 
and and people are uh, have been and are reporting um, being abducted by grace for instance why do you think that these alien life forms uh, are abducting people from from earth and, and taking them uh, away in into their uh, ship to i don't know where another planet or or just above the atmosphere of the earth why why are these aliens doing this it's it's much easier to uh, stay here in in somebody's bedroom or or living room and and conduct their experiments here because i also understood that um, these civilizations from outer space have the ability to uh, paralyze uh, somebody uh, for a brief moment or uh, removing or, or reducing somebody's uh, memory. So why not staying here, making all the efforts to abduct somebody? Why are they doing that? The obvious answer, well, not necessarily obvious, but the, the prevalent answer is that they seem to be interested in our biology, in our, uh, specifically in our DNA. And many of the abduction stories uh, recount how uh, reproductive uh, materials taken both from men and from women, things like ovaries and such. Now, uh, women have reported interrupted pregnancies. They become pregnant, and then later they're re-abducted, and the fetus disappears. So the on the face of it, and assuming that these abduction stories are true, you know that that there that there is truth to it. The so-called aliens appear to be interested in our in our biology, in our reproductive capabilities, in our DNA. Now, why don't they just do it in the bedroom? I would draw an analogy. If you go to the doctor, uh, if you have a situation that the, the doctor needs to concentrate on, he he'll want to he or she will want to put you in the hospital where they can control the conditions that they're studying your your condition. So I, I think it's similar with these so-called aliens. They want the person aboard the craft so that they can remove sperm or ova or whatever it is that they're interested in. Now, there have, there have been many, many reports of so-called uh, implants put into mm-hmm. people, and mm-hmm. we don't know exactly for sure what these are for, but we've speculated and it seems common sense that they're used for some kind of tracking uh facility like GPS. You know, yeah to keep yeah to keep track of the of the person i i find that uh, a bit well i'm sorry for playing the devil's advocate but uh, i like to ask the question question what if um if they are just in our uh, layers of atmosphere and and have the ability to view us for for instance night vision and and using lasers why why not why putting creepy stuff inside somebody you can see somebody well i mean we tend to try to analyze this from our point of view from our mentality and assuming this is really occurring i i think it's important to try to understand that these aliens are doing what they're doing for their purposes. They're not doing it for our purposes, and they're doing it from their point of view on the basis of whatever their agenda or agendas are. 
Uh, you, you mentioned that uh, alien uh, civilizations, or at least the ones that we have become known with, are specifically interested in our biology and, and uh, how that we uh, reproduce ourselves. Does that mean that these, well, creatures, so to say, do not have this ability themselves? Well, there has been speculation about that, uh, and there are different ideas about where these so-called aliens are coming from, and there's more than one type. Uh, there, there are several groups that are operating uh, in the Earth environment, whether they're extraterrestrial or interdimensional or ultra-terrestrial or time travelers. You know, we just don't know the answer to that. But one speculation is that they are not, unable to reproduce on their own, you know, and they need some, I guess, some fresh material to work with, you know, some fresh <laughs> DNA. That's one speculation. Another speculation is that many abductees, particularly females, have uh, noticed these hybrids on board these craft. And mm -hmm. there have even been reports of some women being given the hybrid to hold, just like a mother would bond, bond with her child. And these hybrids are thinner, they're spin, more spindly, they have wispy hair, you know, they're very strange looking and very odd. So uh, there's some speculation that, you know, these hybrids are being developed for some purpose or another, even to the point of uh, honing the hybrid uh, product to the point to where they're almost indistinguishable from you and I on the street. And that that's kind of getting into a science fiction scenario there. But, the yeah. you know, these are speculations that have gone on. And, and, and the bottom line is we just don't know what the answer is to that. You being, if I may say so, or may call it like that, a field agent or um, working with, with MUFON, uh, how do you prove that these claims, what, what abductees say that they have experienced, how do you prove that is legit what they are saying? Well, it depends on the person's attitude because uh, we've always had a problem in getting the mainstream scientific community to get seriously involved in UFO studies. And because they don't get involved, not as much science gets done that needs to get done. And because we're not being able to do as much hard, firm science as we like, as really needs to be, then because of that, scientists won't get involved. So it's kind of a, it's kind of a conundrum, it's a, it's a vicious circle. And I think that in terms of proof, we don't have physical, scientific, hard proof. But we, depending on how you look at it, we do have a preponderance of the evidence. That's mm -hmm. a kind of a legal idea uh, that's used in, in, uh, in, in civil litigation in the United States where you have a preponderance of the evidence. And even though you may not have firm proof you, you have enough to convince a reasonable person that something's going on. And so it's, it's, it's not like in uh, the X-Files, for instance, that uh, Scully and Mulder uh, find, uh, well, something, uh, a chip or something, or, or, I don't know, something hard 
proof, evidence that these people have been abducted or have been in any form uh, in, in contact with alien civilization. It's not like the X-Files. Well, the there, there is, there has been some recovery of so-called implants. Uh, there have been several instances of that, and the, they, they were surgical operations conducted by an individual by the name of Dr. Roger Lear. And the findings there are inconclusive. Now, what, what, what's missing is you don't have the scientific rigor of one investigator having a finding and then that finding being passed on to a peer review or other uh, qualified people that can evaluate the evidence and then write it up and then have it scrutinized by the scientific community. That's what's not happening. And not only in the physical realm, but in the psychiatric realm, if psychiatrists would get involved and seriously study act, uh, abductees and experiencers and mm. gather data and develop data, then they can develop hypotheses, you know, to possibly explain what's going on with these abductees that can be peer reviewed and it can be scrutinized by the, by the psychiatric community. That, that would be some progress, but that's not happening. Is there a, a form uh, with, with points that a psychiatrist is, uh, well, adding up? Uh, this point is no, this point is, an, uh, is a yes. And if you have enough yeses, then you are abductee, uh, according to the psychiatrist? Or is there a particular behavior? How does somebody know that they have been abducted? If, for instance, memory is being well, wiped out from the mind. Yes, there are questionnaires. MUFON has, uh, we have the experiencer research team and we have, they have questionnaire. There's also another organization uh, that has the, uh, operates by the acronym of FREE, F-R-E-E. And uh, mm -hmm. that was involved with uh, Dr. Edgar Mitchell and other very qualified scientists that have collected a lot of data about this. So, I think to be scientific, an abductee needs to be evaluated both by a qualified psychologist and a qualified psychiatrist. So these qualified people can sort out those that are maybe imagining things or that have other psychological problems, yes. or maybe a psychiatric condition, awesome. you know, and we'll, you know, set them aside. And then you have the ones that are telling these stories that don't have any psychological or psychiatric issues underlying that, okay? And I think that would help. Uh, you mentioned in, in the beginning that you have written a couple of books uh, about UFOs and that is how you ended up with MUFON. But except for reading these books and investigating in the field, did you have your own experience in, in UFO sightings or um, a close encounter, if I may call it like that? Well, for the record, based on your recent question, I have not written any books, but I have read books. I, I meant reds. I'm okay. not written. Okay. okay. <laughs> uh, no, and the answer is no, I have not had a sighting or an experience. And I, I kind of tell a joke that if you don't want to see a UFO, you should, you should hang around with me. I think that like mm, many people uh, in the world, uh, I have seen a, a couple of 
odd things in the sky as well. Well, I believe all together four times. I cannot say that they were UFOs, but uh, they were odd indeed. But for instance, I, I had a crazy experience. I, I'm not putting it into the ball of uh, alien civilizations or UFOs and etc. But it is odd indeed. So I was laying on the couch in the evening and I dozed off a little bit and my husband was uh, sitting uh, well, two meters from me and suddenly I saw a crazy, odd, strange creature looking like human but not quite. In my uh, uh, feeling it was not um, human. It was in a, a complete yellowish light. It was emitting this light and I wanted to scream. I wanted to fight but somehow in my mind it felt like a synthetic narcosis and I couldn't fight that. I fell asleep. I, it was boop and I was gone and uh, I woke up in my bed. How the heck did I get from the couch to my bed? I do not recall anything uh, uh, between that. So if I tell you a story like that, would you as, uh, well, may I say UFO expert, uh, field agent from MUFON, consider this as, uh, well, a visiting from an alien civilization or perhaps a moment of being abducted? Well, I would definitely recommend that you attempt to make a report I can. Uh, I was almost you. being afraid that you were going to say, I'm going to advise you to see a psychiatrist. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, okay. <laughs> okay, no, please go on. <laughs> well, I, it, I'll be glad to refer you to our experience or research team so that you can file a report. Um, and we'll want to file that through the MUFON regular database as well. But I think what you're describing qualifies uh, as something that, that deserves further uh, inquiry and investigation. Now, whether you saw an I extraterrestrial... Have no, I, have no traumas. I have no traumas from that or uh, uh, anything like that. It is just an, an, an experience that you have, um, that I had, that a one-time thing. And, well, that was it. But... Okay, please go on. Um, um, what happens if, uh, let's say, I report this, and then what will be the process that is going? What I'm saying. Well, uh, we would file the report uh, through the state organization, uh, and the uh, case will be logged into the MUFON case management system, mm -hmm. and then you you'll be referred to the experiencer research team and the experiencer research team uh, will follow up with you and will probably send you a questionnaire and then that's that's the initial process to get the the process started started so there is yes. a lot of going on after that there should be follow-up it really depends on the case because sometimes an individual will be or think that they're, they're an abductee and they are abducted more than once. I mean, they, they've had a series of these events. So, mm -hmm. and, and maybe it may be still continuing after they file the first report. 
So, mm -hmm. so sometimes, you know, uh, the case follow-up uh, goes on for quite a while while this is going on. Uh, in your case, if it's kind of a one-off, you know, one, uh, one event, then uh, there may or may not be a lot of further follow-up depending on how you answer the questionnaire and, and mm -hmm. what information you're actually providing. Well, that is highly interesting. How, how do people get um, in contact? Do they uh, contact you personally or do they go via the website of MoveOn? Uh, they can normally they can go to the web website and move on and we have a caption there on our website for you to report and you uh, sent me your bio uh, biography uh, in front and you just also mentioned that uh, in the beginning that you have a daughter uh, how does she think about this all because that is uh, well to say Chasing UFOs and aliens. How the, is she thinking about this? I don't know what she tells her friends. <laughs> <laughs> Probably your crazy dad, you know. <laughs> oh, uh, with me, I mean, she's courteous. I occasionally uh, ask for her help. For example, I, I just wrote a paper that I published on my blog, and I've asked her to read it and give me her feedback. I've written other things, like a chapter an introductory chapter that I've asked her to read and, and uh, give me her feedback on. But uh, she does not lay awake at night waiting for the next opportunity to study UFOs with me. In other words, she's not, uh, she's a millennial and she's very, very good with computers. Um, I published this paper on my blog and yes. I also wanted to post uh, an audio version of my paper on on uh, on YouTube, and she helped me do that. I don't think I would be able to do it on my own. So super cool support from the daughter. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> and she has skills, and you know, she has skills and abilities I don't have. And in return, you play uh, your guitar uh, music for her, or because you are also a, a, a well, a high skilled guitarist. I am a guitarist. I've been playing guitar since I was 14. Uh, I compose on the classical guitar. My style, I, I refer to my style as kind of a pseudo-classical style. It has uh, elements of folk guitar, elements of, of, of what I call contemporary and some classical sounding elements. I mm -hmm. composed over 10 original pieces. It, it amounts to about 40 minutes of original music that I intend to have recorded professionally. And then I'll have that posted, um, you know, once I, once I get that done and I'm not trying to make money. It's just for the record. It's, I, I, I call it my musical legacy. Cool. I have to, I have to think about particular movies. I forgot the titles and where, uh, Oh, I believe it was close encounter or was it the fifth, third kind, fifth kind, um, that time. they, uh, Oh, third kind that they were addressing uh, alien civilization uh, from that UFO on that mountain with sound and light, etc. I had to think about it. What is the real number of the legit unidentified aircrafts which have an origin other than Earth and are researched by MUFON? Well, generally speaking, each month. MUFON receives between 500 and 2,000 reports 
Wow. Now, we have to remember that the modern UFO era has been going on since 1947, and there have been literally hundreds of thousands of reports made since then, and that doesn't even include other sightings that people have had that have not reported. But uh, MUFON does receive many hundreds of reports. Now, historically, generally speaking, about 90 to 95 percent of those reports are explainable. Okay, okay they're identifiable. Uh, people often misidentify natural phenomena. They'll see the planet Venus or they'll see an airplane or a helicopter. Um, mm -hmm. Recently, we've gotten a lot of reports because of these Starlink satellites that have been uh, put up in into space. Um, yes, yes. Uh, I think Elon Musk project. I, I uh, watched that. I, I saw, I, I was with my kids and my husband um, at the bonfire and we saw those uh, lights in a straight line um, coming over and we were looking like, what the bleep is that? <laughs> and and we, we didn't know. And my oldest daughter was going, yeah, ma, don't do, don't be such such a crazy uh, well, chicken. No, it's just an airplane. What airplanes? How many are there? More than sixty. No, this is not an airplane. Well, so okay. But later on, yes, I I understood that Elon Musk had um, about between sixty and eighty satellites shot into uh, in in their orbit. Yeah. But please, please go go on. Now the really good cases are are pretty rare. It's MUFON's task to help the public uh, with, in their efforts to try to identify things that they have seen and that they don't understand. And so we take the report, we log the report, uh, we investigate, uh, we interview the witness. If there's any physical rep, uh, evidence, which actually is quite rare, uh, we collect that and analyze it. And then we uh, draw a conclusion uh, what, in, in the investigator's opinion, uh, the object was. And if, if it is something that's really truly anomalous, then it, it, it goes into the unknown category. Now, we can't say definitively that this phenomena originates outside the, the Earth. Uh, there have been theories for many years that it may be something on Earth. The common sense inclination is to think that they're extraterrestrial in origin, but the bottom line is we don't have proof of that, and to be and we can't be on we can't honestly say that we truly know that they're extraterrestrial in origin. And with extraterrestrial, you mean from outer space? Yes. But it could be that they are from Earth but that it is a forgotten evolution or that we humans are a side branch from a real evolution. We are, well, junk DNA to say so, or a mistake from nature or bred by these creatures. There are a lot of different ideas. <laughs> uh, there are all kinds of interesting theories. You know, the ancient astronauts and one possibility is that Yes, they're extraterrestrial in origin, but they've had bases here for a long time, maybe mm -hmm. inside mountains or beneath the sea or something. And, uh, you know, they've maybe been living here for a long time, uh, but, but maybe they were extraterrestrial in origin to begin with.
I suddenly have to think about the theory of hollow earth. Uh, something that in World War II, uh, Hitler and its, uh, his uh, companions uh, were also searching for an entrance in that. I believe there are still people looking for an entrance uh, on the Arctic, I believe. So I was thinking, hollow earth, let's go into the science behind such a theory. Dyson spheres. Do you think that it's possible that the core of the earth is the energy source of a Dyson sphere built by, as you say, as you call them, uh, Asian uh, astronauts. And that the Earth's surface is the outer sphere of a Dyson sphere. Well, I have, because I have to think that the conventional science is probably correct that the Earth has a molten core. But I do think that it's possible there may be areas within the Earth that are cavernous mm -hmm. that we don't know about. Now, I'm not saying there are. I'm just saying I think it's it's possible. In other words, there are, maybe there are you know fairly large areas inside the Earth that are that are maybe uh, habitable. You know, maybe they're hollow. Uh, maybe there are places like that. You know, there. I know there's one cave. I think it's in Mexico. They haven't found the end of it yet. So, oh. you know, who knows uh, what, what's is that down the, there. Is that the same cave? I, I read an article about uh, a cave with enormous crystals. Um, it's, it's a while ago. Is that uh, probably the same cave? I forgot where it was. <laughs> uh, I don't know, but there are some cool caves in Mexico, for sure. <laughs> And probably, you know, many other places, too. So they haven't found uh, the end of it. Could that be uh, like Jules Verne also was writing about uh, inner Earth with, well, he stated with dinosaurs and, and their own um, evolution and ecosystems, etc. Do you think there's something possible like that? That there are yet unex unexplored civilizations living there um, having their own evolution and that is probably might maybe the strange creatures we are seeing in uh, for instance the um, if i pronounce it correctly the cabachubra chupacabra yeah okay it was <laughs> <laughs> you can be forgiven <laughs> yeah okay <laughs> i am so glad <laughs> <coughs> you speak English better than I could ever speak Dutch or German. Okay, well, I'm happy for that. That is comforting. <laughs> um, grabbing back to the UFOs, how do you, um, well, uh, what do you need, what information do you need to say this is a UFO unexplained and this is a well sort of ufo but in the explainable area it depends on the case and i can say generally speaking that the closer the witness is to the object the more likely it is that it could be anomalous mm -hmm. and also if you have more than one witness if you have you know two or three or more witnesses that corroborate the, the uh, encounter, hopefully they're separate, they're 
people that don't know each other and if they're telling the same, if they're relating the same uh, similar information, you know, that, that strengthens the case. Now, there have, you know, you talked about close encounters of the third kind, but a close encounter of the third kind is an encounter where the witness is close enough to the object that they know that it is something very, very unusual. So it really depends on the case. Now, the, the uh, encounter, hopefully they're separate. There are people that don't know each other, and if they're telling the same, if they're relating the same uh, similar information, you know, that, that strengthens the case. Now, there have, you know, you talked about close encounters of the third kind, but a close encounter of the third kind is an encounter where the witness is close enough to the object that they know that it is something very, very unusual. So it really depends on the case. Now, I think ethically, to you can't say that it's extraterrestrial in origin, but you can eliminate all other explanations ethically and come to the conclusion that it is an unknown, that it's an anomalous, mm-hmm. it's an anomalous uh, event. But there is not, well, that you ha- say, okay, it has to be this size or it has to be that color or it has to have that kind of sound or frequency or speed or that's not. That is not how you conduct your investigation. Well, UFOs are like people. They come in all shapes and sizes. Okay. UFOs have been reported in just about every shape that you can think of. Circular, round, lenticular, saucer-shaped, cube, rectangle, flying wing, you name it. Mm -hmm. And and, uh, so we can't say, well... You know, that wasn't a saucer-shaped object, so therefore you didn't say a UFO. Uh, mm. they're, they're, and that's one of the bewildering problems in UFO studies is the variety of, of shapes and sizes and associated uh, activities with the object. You know, the sound, the color, uh, maybe the smell, you know, the vibration. The, there's just a whole wide variety of of things that go on. A complete topic switch. Have you ever been in Roswell? Uh, I've been to Roswell, New Mexico, and I actually drove to a remote location where a lady uh, that said that at the time of the Roswell incident, she was a young girl mm-hmm. living out in the country, and she she saw a fireball go across uh, pretty close to the ground. That I thought that was very interesting. But I've been to that uh, part of the world. Now, the exact location of the crash is something that's possibly even still classified to this day. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think it's difficult to go to where people think that the object uh, or objects crashed. Mm-hmm. But I've been all over New Mexico. I've been to northeast, northwest, central southeast southwest you know but to answer your question yes i've been to roswell new mexico so you cannot say what really happened at roswell we can't prove it now but you have an idea well 
there again, there are different theories and different explanations. Mm. Um, the original investigators, William Moore and Stanton Friedman, they did the initial interviews with the witnesses in the late 1970s, and they were led to believe that the object was extraterrestrial. Since then, there have been other explanations. For example, even the Air Force came out in the 90s with a report. Uh, this report is it's as thick as a phone book, uh, but their explanation was that it was a recovered mogul balloon, which was a balloon that was designed to take uh, radiation re measurements at the time. There has been... Uh, one explanation that some kind of planned form vehicle was uh, created for high altitude testing and that uh, people were put in this vehicle and it was carried in a balloon and the balloon exploded and the vehicle crashed. You know, there's that explanation. And then there's the, the UFO explanation that uh, actually two saucers crashed one uh, near Corona, New Mexico, the other one in southwest New Mexico, and mm -hmm. that bodies were recovered and that even one live alien was recovered. So, you know, these are stories that have been told, but as UFO people like me and investigators, we, we don't have proof of mm -hmm. any, anything. We don't have proof of it. It, it, it's hard to find uh, proof that is, well, proving that they are real. <laughs> um, I, I'm listening to you and, and, and New Mexico and uh, the desert-like uh, scenes that we know uh, all about very well. The Grand Canyon is one of the largest tunnel system that is in that area. And, and crossing from almost from one side of uh, the USA to the other side of the USA. Now, I have been thinking about this for uh, quite a while. If military organizations have advanced aircrafts that have the ability of blending in the background, bending the light, uh, NASA's PPT, uh, uh, engines, the pools, and etc., etc. Most people are not quite familiar with this kind, this kind of technology. So, what if Area 51 is only a decoy, so to say, and S4 is all a decoy, um, or, well, letting people looking into a different direction, literally, and that the whole Grand Canyon is one enormous dump. Uh, uh, I mean, the basis on the ground. Do you think that it is a possibility that, well, these kind of tunnel systems can be used as, well, minks, for instance? Well, there have been stories and rumors about underground tunnels and underground bases and uh, maglev uh, systems, you know, where they go from one base to another underground. And, uh, you know, the, I even have documentation in my files of the government beginning to research uh, building underground facilities right after World War II. Mm -hmm. And they learned something from the Germans because we, uh, the United States and Britain bombed Germany so heavily 
that the Germans had to go underground to manufacture their missiles and, and other uh, military equipment. And yes. I think when the U.S. got over there after the war, they realized how, how much of this was going on. And mm-hmm. they started thinking, what if we get into a nuclear war? Uh, you know, we need to be, we may have to fight this underground. So they legitimately started building certain uh, military facilities underground. And also, uh, there's an alternate government site that is un- uh, underground, you know, for the Congress and the president and all of that. Uh, the uh, government can continue to operate, in the, mainly in the case of nu- nuclear war. Now, at the same time, we want to remember that the technology is there to create these tunnels. For example, there's a tunnel that goes between France and Britain that goes underneath the English Channel. Uh, There are tunnels uh, here in Washington, D.C. that go underneath the Potomac and and in uh, San Francisco. You know, they do that in New York. They do that in San Francisco. So the the technology to build these tunnels is there. The question is, uh, and some research has been done uh, by one investigator uh, about underground facilities, but I don't think we really know how many there really are and how you know, what activities occur in some of these underground, possible underground locations. Our technology, um, we have become familiar uh, with. I spoke to uh, UFO expert Nick Pope, and that was in uh, September this year, about two months ago. And I asked him the question, a similar question about reversed engineering the advanced technology or alien technology reversing it and now i have a microwave in my kitchen coming from this kind of reverse engineering are you from the same um idea that uh, like nick pope said um and and uh, i quote i quote him I am quite skeptical about that. I think that you would need to look to at history of science or scientific understanding and technology programs. And he goes on in uh, the interview, I mean, no piece of technology suddenly springs into existence. Are you of the same opinion that there is no way that uh, there is reverse technology? Well. I'll say this, Maria, if there have been one or more UFOs recovered, they almost certainly have tried to figure out how they work. Mm -hmm. Now, whether they can figure it out or not, that's a different question. And we hear different things that they have, you know, they have one or more saucers and they've made very little progress. And then at the other end, you hear stories that They've made tremendous progress. They have anti-gravity now. Some of the things we're seeing is because, you know, they've developed this this technology. Mm-hmm. Then there was uh, Philip Corso that claimed that uh, some of the Roswell uh, technology was secreted into U.S. corporations and things like uh, optical fibers, you know, and microcircuits and things like this yes. were yes. developed from that. And I don't you know, again, we don't, these are stories and we don't have any proof of it. Uh, There's the development of the transistor, uh, as far as I know, is well documented. And I do have a book about Bell Labs, which I've read, and and they explain that 
in their scientific work uh, developing technology, they keep notebooks. And these notebooks are, are kept rigorously. So there's, there's a documentary trail, there's a paper trail of every, every advance that they're making with this technology. And it's it's hard to argue that are you referring came, you to know, from the are, are you referring to a project paperclip? No. Now okay. now that's a but that's that's a subject. I mean, as you know, at the end of World War II, both the Russians and the scientists were trying to get their hands on every German scientist that they could. Mm -hmm. And the Germans were were very advanced in in certain respects. So yeah. you know that's that's a whole nother that's a whole nother subject. <laughs> Well, I was discussing this idea also around Project Paperclip and the scientists from World War II with my husband the other night. And I had to think about, well, they went to Norway, that facility with all the nuclear stuff, and then they came back with D2O, or in simple terms, that is heavy water. And then they ended up uh, in Poland, where we all know uh, Hitler's bell or Die Glocke. And I was thinking, well, what best to transport in D2O in heavy water is neutrinos. And neutrinos, uh, combining that with, well, the fiberglass idea, the light, etc., you get time travel. And, and you can, in a nutshell then, and, and you can build, well, a source for a Dyson sphere and, and et cetera. Okay, but that, that's correct. That's a completely different story. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> I was just popped up in my mind. I, I think the, okay. Germans, the Germans were very, very good. Um, but I don't know if they were that good. Hmm. I don't know. Well, I, I spoke to, with a couple of German scientists, and uh, some did, well, say so, blow my mind. Some, um, as I have mentioned in your intro, you have undertaken a research study for the history of MJ-12 affair. It is a long time ago that I have uh, read something about MJ-12. So. Please fill me in. What is this affair, and 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 what was it again? All the mysteries about and around MJ12. Well, the the idea of MJ12 or Majestic 12 was, uh, and this is the idea, the legend mm -hmm. uh, that uh, you know the UFO or UFOs were recovered from Roswell, and because of that. Uh, it was a big deal, and President Truman uh, appointed a committee of 12 people to, one, study the recovered materials and the bodies and possibly a live alien, and two, uh, to track uh, the, UFO, uh, the UFO phenomenon, and three, to manage the public perception about it. Now, that, that's the legend. What actually happened was in the 1980s, certain researchers came across certain documents and uh, there was some manipulation going on, possibly from the Air Force and possibly from intelligence agencies because they may have been running a counterintelligence program. But there were several 
UFO researchers that were exposed to certain documents that purported to uh, refer to MJ-12. And the main one, the most famous one, is, is referred to as the Eisenhower briefing document. And that was purportedly uh, a document that was created for President-elect Eisenhower. And mm-hmm. he was given that in the uh, uh, late fall, uh, either November or December of 1952, before he took office in 1953. And it explained the Roswell crash and that bodies were recovered and that the MJ-12 committee was formed. It listed the members of the MJ-12 committee and that uh, the work on this was ongoing. Now, a certain uh, uh, UFO researcher by the name of William Moore, who was a well-known researcher at the time in the Mm -hmm. mid to late 1980s, he received this document through his associate, Jamie Chandra, and this document, it, it was actually a roll of film, a uh, 35 millimeter film, which included yeah. the Eisenhower briefing document and the so-called Truman Forrestal Memorandum, which was President Truman's authorization to create this committee. They received this in, uh, 19, I believe, 1984, and they sat on it for two and a half years. And then another UFO researcher in Britain by the name of Timothy Good, received a copy, and he decided to include it in his upcoming book, Above Top Secret, The Worldwide UFO Cover-Up, and that was in 1987. So in 1987, these documents came into the public domain, and it created a big sensation. Um, There was uh, an FBI investigation. They tried to learn where the documents came from and was there really an MJ-12 committee Uh, There was even a a feature on a popular uh, news show, uh, ABC Nightline, about it. And uh, it it caused quite a stir. Now, here's the interesting thing. That wasn't the end of the MJ-12 affair, as as I see it. In the 1990s, more documents came out through, through another individual by the name of Timothy Cooper. He received quite a large number of documents that were either directly or indirectly related to MJ-12. A uh, copy of a so-called manual, Psalm 1-01 manual, uh, came into the public domain in the 1990s. And then we've had other incidents as well. For example, the Serpo story came out after the year 2000. And even as late as uh, 2017, another document purporting to be from MJ-12 came out on the internet. Now, I'm not saying these documents are authentic. In, in fact, almost all of the documents are questioned and some of the documents are, you know, have many problems with them. So there's a lot of skepticism about the authenticity of the documents, but for some reason, someone or some organization or some group mm-hmm. is continuing to feed these documents into the public about this whole MJ-12 idea and this MJ-12 legend. So to keep the mystery up or the legend up or to let people look into another direction as uh, into the mystery instead of the real science behind UFO. What is the real science behind aliens and UFOs? Yeah, maybe so, maybe to deferred attention uh, it may have something to do with tracking foreign spies. 
you know, you put some information out into the public and see, you know, who gives what to whom. There, you know, there there are some different possibilities. The the UFO believers want to think that this group is preparing the public to accept the reality, the UFO reality. You know, that's a mm-hmm. it's a big step for humankind to understand that and that they're gradually being prepared, you know, to to accept this. I don't know if that's true or not, but you know, it's it's one theory. To accept the truth, to accept that greys are having big black eyes and can communicate telepathy via telepathy, or to accept what? What well, is the truth behind it? If we're being visited by several alien groups, yes, and if they are abducting people, yes. Uh, and maybe doing some of the things, and if they, you know, you mentioned the gray aliens, um, there have been human-like aliens reported, the so-called Nordics, uh, there have been reptilian kinds of aliens reported, there have been insect-like aliens that look like a praying mantis. There's a big difference between thinking, oh, maybe there's life on other planets, there's a big difference between that and really having to understand, having the proof put in front of you publicly by an authority that's that's trusted, that it really is true. That's mm-hmm. a big deal. That's a huge adjustment for, for society. There will be a shock. Yes, a big shock. And people go into a panic mode. Well, I mean, think of this. Are people going to go... Okay, now, am I going to get abducted, too? You know, I could see how people could easily panic if they if it if the reality is confronted to them that it really is true. Well, I can understand the panic if you hear the stories of those people who have been abducted or have had uh, a, a, a sighting that they cannot explain and having burn marks or time lost and etc and it seems that they are pretty hostile so i can understand the panic yes it's a bad advertising i guess (laughs) bad advertising from outer space tom as we uh, are also talking to uh young people um and i think that many would like to know um if it is possible at all but how can you become a UFO specialist? I mean, do have somebody have to attend a university and, and getting a, a degree in engineering or in physics or perhaps both? Well, unfortunately, there is no accredited college program of UFO studies. Uh, oh. you, you, you can't get a bachelor's degree in UFO studies or a master's or a PhD. The way that young people can get involved is uh, start buying some good. I recommend that they buy good UFO books. And uh, now there's the Internet, but I think it's, it's better for education to read books than to just go and read, you know, look on the Internet. Because there's a lot of junk out there and you don't know what you can rely on and what, what you cannot rely on. If you go to certain 
UFO sources, written sources, they'll have bibliographies of good, reliable uh, UFO books to read. And it's maybe beyond the scope of this discussion here for me to list all those, but I can certainly uh, help you if you want to, you know, uh, provide a bibliography that I think are good, solid, reliable books that young people can read to get interested in the UFO field, and it can point them in the right direction. Okay, cool. Or they can join MUFON, because I have re uh, read on uh, the website that you can join. Yes, can be yes, yes, they can. And you, you can, uh, we have an online course uh, to train field investigators. We have an excellent uh, field investigator manual. And then we have field investigator exam. So young people that want to get uh, get into the UFO field can go in that direction. And I'd just like to say this too, Maria, in the UFO field, just about any kind of science, scientific discipline applies. You know, whether it's physics or math or meteorology or chemistry or biology, just about anything you can think of applies you can apply to the UFO field. Oh, cool. I love physics and engineering. <laughs> so I can apply that. The universe is indeed not fully explored and even a scary place when you think about that we are not completely alone. From your point of view, are we alone in the universe or not? Absolutely not. I mean, um, I think they've said that there are either more stars or more galaxies than there are grains of sand on the beaches and the ocean. So we would, for us to be the only intelligent life in the universe, we'd have to be living in the most statistically weird universe imaginable. So just by the numbers, even even if you took an infinitesimal percentage of stars that would have intelligent life in their solar system, you'd still end up with a very, very large number. I wonder when we are truly are going to encounter them and learn probably from them, because I truly hope that they are scientists and teachers and not a creepy creature that is going to eat me alive and not bothering swallowing. Okay, <laughs> Tom, um, I'd like to thank you for the opportunity to talk with you. Um, this is very, very interesting. And, and there are many, many questions within this field of research and, and this topic. Uh, but I see that the hour is almost over. Um, but before we can close out, uh, where can we find uh, um, the latest details on UFO sightings, how for people to contact uh, MUFON, and um, perhaps if they have questions for you personally, how they can contact you? Well, I suggest that people go to the MUFON website, that's M-U-F-O-N dot C-O-M, MUFON.com. And uh, it can get you pointed in a direction to learn more. I have a blog that's tomwhitmoreblog.wordpress.com. That's tomwhitmoreblog.wordpress.com. My email is twhitmore 
at gmail.com. And I'm on Facebook as Tom Whitmore. And I'm on Twitter as at Tom Tulsa. So there are a number of ways you can reach me if you want to. Thank you all for tuning in this week on The Next Truth with Science and Myth Meat. Make sure to visit our website, www.nexttruth.com. That is nexttruth, all in one word, dot com. And let us know what you think about our podcast. While you're at it, if you find value in this show, we would appreciate a rating on our website in the section The Next Truth Podcasts. Or if you would simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us too. I am Maria Anna van Driel with The Next Truth.